Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Reside Podcast. Here, we celebrate stories of individuals creating community in their own unique spaces. I'm Brooke, your host. Y'all already know that creating community is something I am so passionate about, which is why I created this podcast as a platform to celebrate how others are building a better community around them. Life isn't meant to be lived alone, and I hope you leave each episode feeling encouraged to make your own space a better place for everyone, and ultimately know you aren't alone in your journey. On this episode, I had the incredible honor to talk to Christina Minka-Miller, founder of Being Positioned, an organization passionate about creating a sense of adventure, hope, and fun in the lives of adults with critical, life-altering, rare genetic disorders by sending them on all expense-paid journeys within the U.S. Being Positioned started out as Christina's personal mantra after being diagnosed with NF2, a rare genetic disorder that could eventually result in permanent loss of hearing. She tells me about the community she's creating among other individuals across the country with NF2 and other rare genetic disorders, and how it's instilled hope and connectedness for so many during such an incredibly difficult and isolating time. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Christina. Christina, thanks so much for joining the Reside podcast today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We just met uh, through a mutual <laughs> friend and you know, you have just such an incredible story and journey and so I'm really excited to talk to you today about how you are using your journey to cultivate community and um, to foster that in the lives of others too. So before we jump into all of that stuff, can you just, yeah, maybe introduce yourself? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Christina Minkameller. I'm 28 and I'm originally from Texas, but currently live in Florida with my husband and we have a little dog, no kids yet. <laughs> and I'm originally a social worker, but now I actually run a nonprofit called Being Positioned. Texas to Florida. I'm from Texas as well. How does Florida compare to living in Texas? So it's different. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest thing in Florida is it's a very odd combination of people because nobody's really from Florida, especially Orlando. Mm -hmm. Everyone's transplants. So Texas, everyone's a diehard Texan and oh. very proud to be a Texan. <laughs> but Florida is is such a just a, a unique array of people, which is actually really great in some ways in Orlando. Mm -hmm. It's very diverse. But it's also not quite the Southern charm that we were used to and yeah. the natural friendliness, I would say, that we're used to. So right. from that perspective, it's different, but it, it's hot here too. So there's a little bit of similarity. Yeah, we were talking about just before this the there's thunderstorms approaching both of us right now. So I guess mm -hmm. we still get the <laughs> summer storms and the heat. And um, yeah. I feel like that's one thing that maybe you would want to avoid moving away from Texas is the heat. So yeah. Like you yeah. <laughs> uh, I know. And actually we're very similar to Houston with the rain and the humidity and all that. So I guess a little more similar to Texas weather wise, but <laughs> otherwise very different. <laughs> At least you have some good beaches compared to Galveston. Like our beaches are, I mean, I don't even know if I would consider them uh, <laughs> beach trip worthy. So 
That is valid, very valid. We do have very good beaches. I love it. Well, Christina, I'm excited to dive into your story. You in, I guess it was 2016, correct me if I'm wrong, you Mm -hmm. had a lot of life changes happening. We can maybe start with your story there. You know, you had, you got married, you moved from Texas to Florida, (laughs) as you mentioned, finishing up school, your master's in social work. And then you were also going through a season of kind of misdiagnosis. Can you kind of walk me through your experience with that season of A, a lot of transition, which is just difficult that in and of itself, but then, you know, adding on that season of misdiagnosis and can, you know, just doctor's appointments and all of that kind of walk me through what that journey was like for you. So it was absolutely crazy in every way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So I was three months from finishing grad school and I was going to be a therapist, which was my dream since I was you know, freshman in high school. My dad's a therapist. I knew this is what God had called me to do. Mm. And then I guess it was, or that was three months before getting married and two months before graduating. So, you know, happiest time of your life, planning your wedding. My life was just about to get started and moving, which I wasn't thrilled to move, but I was excited to be reunited with my husband who was yeah. already here in Florida. And I, all of a sudden, one day, just lost my hearing in my left ear, like completely. I was crossing the street and it vanished. Uh, and then about a half hour later, I started having a really severe episode of vertigo, which I, I was taking a midterm and I got actually one of the top grades in the class, which I'm very proud about because the room was yeah. spinning while I took it, <laughs> stood up after the test and I fell into a table. And of course, my professor thought I was drunk and it was an extremely awkward experience. And and long story short, later that night, I was at the hospital and they, you know, they kind of said it was just vertigo and not really to worry about it. And then three days later, I was still very dizzy and had my very first wedding dress fitting, which again, supposed to be so exciting, thrilled to to finally be getting married, all this. And it was awful. My mother-in-law was having to keep me upright, essentially, while the seamstress was working. And it was just, it was horrible. So I went to her doctor that night and just like a local ENT and he diagnosed me with one thing and it you know, required a special diet and all this stuff. And so we'd kind of thought, okay, this is what's going on. And we'd committed to that. I, I went on this diet, did all these things and my hearing still wasn't coming back. And so that was sort of one of the things we said, well, now you have to get an actual hearing test. And it just kind of went through this slow process <laughs> of elimination mm-hmm. in that. And I saw a third doctor who then said, no, no, I don't think that's it. It's actually just this thing and kind of brushed it off as like, it's not going to be that big of a deal, but your hearing will not return. And so it was just kind of this, again, confusing thing. I went back to another doctor and, and, and no one was agreeing. Everybody was completely disagreeing. And the the final straw, actually, one doctor was extraordinarily critical of me questioning him and mm-hmm. and not believing what he was telling me because I said, well, if no one's agreeing, clearly something else is going on in my body that you guys are not recognizing. And yeah. so thankfully, my stepbrother is actually a neurosurgeon in the Dallas area. And he the whole time kept saying, I need a brain MRI, but nobody else recommended it. So I just kind of ignored it and was like, oh, it's fine. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. nothing. And so finally, he got me into a doctor. And that was when I was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder called neurofibromatosis type 2. It means that I have two benign brain tumors that are growing on my hearing imbalance nerve. So I said I lost all my hearing in my left ear. And then 
probably by the age of 40, they think I'm going to lose it all in my right as well. Mm. Um, but it also caused like cataracts to develop on both my eyes. I have a couple tumors on my spine. I have uh, neuropathy, which is, you know, numbness and tingling in your hands and feet, just weird, weird things. Yeah. So not a great, not a great diagnosis to get, <laughs> especially when you are just before graduating to become a therapist, a very hearing dependent career. So it was unbelievably devastating. And I think if it had happened at any other time of my life, it would have been hard, but it also would have been, maybe I could have pivoted my plan <laughs> a little mm. more easily, or it might not have felt quite as earth shattering. But at the same time, I had a lot of really great distractions and I had a lot of big things to be excited about to help me not be so overwhelmed by the bad thing that was happening mm. at the same time. And so even for our wedding, you know, I'd been doing two years long distance with my now husband. And so there was just that we're finally together again. Mm. <laughs> and I'm finally, finally have someone to help me through this. And wow. to get to start our marriage with this was horrible, but also incredibly beautiful that God mm. didn't let me do this alone, that he gave me a partner the second this started. And so mm. I think it was, it was an awful, but amazing season too. And, and it was, really hard moving. I think that was probably the worst part. Um, just leaving my entire support system. I had zero friends here, zero family other than Carson. Mm -hmm. And so learning to navigate this whole medical world and, and going on chemo and doing all of that and trying to find a job and, yeah. and to learn how to be married and to be an adult and, and doing right. so many things. It was a lot, but also kind of the perfect way that it occurred. I think it, it couldn't have happened at a better time either. And weirdly, now I say that, but at the time I did not say that. At yeah. the time it felt cruel and unusual. Yeah, totally. Like you said, I think any of those things in silo, right? Getting married and dealing with your new relationship and kind of what that looks like. A move, that's a huge, you know, that takes a big toll on a person, like being separated from your people and that life that you had built up. Yeah, that is, that's a lot compounding mm -hmm. all at once. I think that your strength in that is beautiful. After you moved, you and your husband made a pretty awesome decision to quit your jobs and travel. Tell me about what led y'all to making that decision. Yeah. And what your experience was with that. So, well, first I have to tell you another cool thing that happened when I got here that, that yes. really helped lead to that decision. I, my first appointment with my neuro-oncologist here, we went through a long string of doctors when we first moved. Mm -hmm. um, but this last referral led us to a doctor here. And he actually hired me as a social worker after my very first appointment. He wow. said, you know, if you lose your hearing, no problem. We'll just make the job work for you. Mm -hmm. I was able to work on my counseling license. Like my treatment was on the fifth floor. I worked, yeah, worked on second floor. Like it was really the dream job mm -hmm. for somebody in my situation, but it was not my dream job. <laughs> I <laughs> never wanted to work in a hospital, especially a cancer center. And mm -hmm. for me, it was great because I was dealing with something very scary and it was yeah. very, very, hard for my husband and I both every single day, we did not know if I was going to lose all my hearing because it could happen suddenly at any second I could lose oh. it. And so it was a very awesome gift to have a medical team surrounding me at all mm. times. <laughs> so if anything bad were to happen, I was covered. You're in the right space. But it also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
but it also <gasps> meant my whole world was brain tumors. I was on mm. the same chemo as the patients that I was doing counseling for. And there was, I was a secret patient. Nobody knew other than my clinic. And so it was really, really draining and having to even kind of hide the hearing loss a little bit, which mm. is hard. Like if you're yeah. in a counseling situation and someone's crying, you can't say, wait, can you say all that all over again? I missed it. Like it, it just right. wasn't great. And so I was really in a situation where I had been on chemo for nine months. I was exhausted and mm-hmm. I was struggling with whether I wanted to really be a therapist and, and try to figure out how to do that in sign language and what that would look like. And so my husband, I had had an episode where my hearing and my good ear completely dropped for mm-hmm. essentially three days. I was almost fully deaf. Yeah. It was a weird fluke thing that happened from an airplane, but it really pushed us to say, okay, this is real. This is mm. happening. We yeah. can't control it. <laughs> and yeah. we were drinking margaritas on a beach one day. And my husband <laughs> said, what do you think about us quitting our jobs and traveling the world? And I said, no, <laughs> horrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> Uh, but you know, few, few more margaritas into it. Decisions <laughs> when all the best decisions are made, clearly. <laughs> I know. Whenever people ask us, I'm like, well, I'll admit it was an alcohol-induced decision. But anyway, so that was kind of how it started, and it was sort of this point where a crisis had occurred, and mm. and it again, it was a fluke thing. My doctors, everything was actually stable. I didn't need to be on treatment longer, uh, even after that hearing episode. And so my doctor said, I think we need to give you a break because it's not really great to be on this that long. Like you, mm-hmm. you're on it for years, this treatment, but you need to kind of have breaks in between. Yeah. And so we knew I was going to get this break soon. We knew that I might not get a break like that again. And so we really wanted to take full advantage of it. And then we, we had probably a span of two weeks where five people died in our life, like really tragic, mm-hmm. hit by a train, like plane crashes, like really unbelievably tragic death. And we thought life is so short mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, we have a, a, a ticking clock on my life in, in a sense. And so we know our circumstances are different. And then to see all these people who were perfectly healthy also lose their lives far too soon. I think that was kind of God's way of just allowing us to see we need to take full advantage of this mm-hmm. time. And so, so that was really the final thing for us to say, all right, we're quitting our jobs. We're just going to try this and we're going to see what happens. You said life is short and that became like a reality for you guys. I wonder how people would live their lives in general if they like operated with that mindset and thinking about all the things that we have yet to do or want to do and just say like, I've got time. I'll do this when I'm X, Y, Z. Actually, my... My husband, one of the things that happened too, he had gone, which is so odd because he was like 25 at the time, went to a retirement mm-hmm. seminar and they, he had all these people. He was, of course, the only person that young and he came home and he felt so defeated because he said everybody spent the whole time saying they had all these plans, they saved their money and now that they're ready to retire, they, you know, things happen. They got sick, their spouse got sick, they physically, they're not able to function as easily, so traveling's not as enjoyable anymore. And it was just one of those that, again, we just had this sort of perfect storm of reminders occur that, yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't live life with a one day mentality because one day is not promised to any of us. Mm -hmm. And we're grateful we, we got that reminder really early on in our lives, but 
I think everybody should remember that. <laughs> that yeah. of course, be be wise. Don't be reckless and you know right. quit your jobs. And forget. <laughs> we just heard about it. We didn't do we didn't do anything dangerous. But I think it's just that there is a way to live a full life <laughs> uh, mm. every day. So you guys, in kind of thinking through what that looked like for y'all, you did end up quitting your jobs and traveling. How long were you guys out and about and? What were some of the highlights that you guys, of the things y'all got to do and see? So we did a full 14 months exactly of traveling. And we did the first couple of months in the U.S. to see family and friends and then mm. a full 12 months abroad. It's hard to pick our favorites, but we, <laughs> we actually started, we started with a really big trip. We went to Dubai and South Africa, but South Africa, we were actually going to visit a family that their daughter, who was 12 at the time, but she has my condition as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was just such a crazy, awesome trip just to get to spend 10 days with this family, mm -hmm. you know, fighting the same battle we're fighting and getting to just be with this, you know, people from the other side of the world and to have such empathy and connection with one another. It was just really cool. You had mentioned as a part of your story with being positioned that really the time that y'all got to have abroad sparked some conversation and some thoughts around, okay, like, what are we going to do when we return? So walk me through how that thought process started and those conversations. Yeah. So we met with a friend while we were in Amsterdam that she is a friend from Florida, but working also in the theme park industry. So she was there on a job and she's deaf in her left ear as well. And mm -hmm. we went to dinner with her one night and she just pushed me on it. Like, what do you want to do when you're done? <laughs> and mm -hmm. I said, oh, I, I don't know, actually. <laughs> but it was a really helpful conversation. I, of course, had already been thinking, do I want to keep doing counseling when I get back? I did have an opportunity to do that. And so I knew it was a choice still. But it's one thing to be able to do something, but is that actually what God really wants me to do? And I just, I didn't really want to do counseling in sign language because it's learning a whole new language first. Right. And then being able to connect with people on a level and to know the language well enough to do that. And it just, no part of my heart felt any connection to that. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I just started thinking about Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I thought, okay, well, maybe there's going to be an opportunity in there or Maybe they hire a social worker, who knows? But I Googled a lot and nothing really came up and nothing that sounded like what I wanted to do. And then it was probably two weeks later, it was that same trip that we were on. I was sitting on a bench in Switzerland and all of a sudden just had this thought of what if we do our own version of Make-A-Wish mm. and we just do it for traveling. I have a blog that I was doing while we were traveling and I had a lot of people with my condition reach out during that time mm. and say, you know, gosh, I wish I had done something like this earlier in my mm. diagnosis. Now I don't feel like I could anymore. Or it doesn't feel, you know, I, I can't hear anymore. I think I would be too intimidated and wow. just really struggling with that. So it was helpful for me to see that not only did all these other people struggle with the exact lack of confidence that mm -hmm. I had been feeling, uh, that traveling really restored that in me and, and reminded me that I can do things, that I can I can survive <laughs> in this world yeah. and, and that it, it is uncomfortable and it's harder for me than it is for my husband. 
but that I am still capable and I am still worthy and I still deserve to have fun and I still have a choice to have fun. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to do something to help people. That was the the core of my job pursuit. So Mm -hmm. if this was the new way to do it, (laughs) then I would do that. But long story short, yes, we we started this nonprofit called Being Positioned Mm -hmm. and we're sending adults who are diagnosed with rare genetic disorders like mine on all expenses paid journeys in the US. So we want to do it broad eventually. That would be awesome. Um, but right now, it's just giving back a little bit of what we got to do for, for people that are in my situation, especially adults. There's yeah. not a lot out there for adults in yeah. general and adults who are not terminal, mm. too. I think that was the other thing that for people to see that there's this whole world <laughs> of us out yeah. there that we might not have cancer specifically, or we might not have something that's you know going to kill me tomorrow, but mm. it's a slow, progressive, degenerative process that you lose. For me, hearing, I could lose my eyesight as well. I know tons of people lose their mobility, paralysis from all these conditions. Yeah. And so you have this slow wasting away process and you know you're losing time and that mm. you can't get it back. <laughs> Whatever mm. damage is done is, is irreparable. So you're, you're really, if you don't live a big life now, you won't really get to later either. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to help spark that in people and help give them that opportunity, but also encourage others just for them to watch what we're doing to do that in their own lives if they're able to. So just this idea of being positioned and Mm -hmm. that is a message, that was the name of my blog when we started traveling as well. And so that was a message that we've been pushing for four and a half years now, I guess almost five years. Mm -hmm. So that in itself, I have seen a lot of impact um, Mm -hmm. just from being able to encourage other people that, you know, most people who have my condition specifically are diagnosed in their 20s. And so kind of right when your life is getting started, you were normal before you didn't have any issues. And then you know, I have multiple friends that got pregnant and then after their pregnancy, they had a seizure and that was how they were diagnosed or they, you know, and they found out they had 25 brain tumors. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just to be one person. And then one day that whole reality is completely stolen from you and it Mm -hmm. rocks your world Mm -hmm. so much. And so having that, that concept of being positioned, that idea, you know, that you're, when hard things happen to you, you're being positioned for something greater. And so to know Mm -hmm. And we all go through struggles. We all have bad things happen. But if we can teach others to view it from the lens of this is going to be used for good eventually mm. and that something good will come from it, I just kind of have to hang on to that hope. And yeah. I think that's really the biggest thing that we've seen is to sort of give people hope again. Mm. And we've had, I mean, I've had people all over the world reach out and, and also do some crazy things with their lives as well. Um, but just being that it's sort of, turns their life back on a little bit that you remember, oh yeah, I can actually do something cool with this too. This doesn't have to be the Mm -hmm. end. And so I think that's something, and that's really our prayer for the nonprofit, that that's something we'll be able to do in in a much more tangible way too, or more intentionally. I think it's neat to hear the community that it's already creating. You said that once you started blogging during your travels, that you had a ton of people come forward and say like, Hey, this is my, I'm going through the same thing. What was that experience like for you to hear from others that were experiencing that journey as well and getting to kind of connect, have that little like community of people who were, who were walking alongside those very same things. So when I was 
first diagnose, I think one of the, the hardest things, you know, rare disorders are not rare, but each condition is very rare. And so for me, mm-hmm. uh, the first six months of this, I had not connected with a single person who had NF2. And my doctors were, you know, they said, oh, we'll, we'll connect you with this one patient, but they're busy. They don't have time to do that. <laughs> like That's just not something. So nothing really happened. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of Facebook groups and things like that that you can join, which I waited for a while because they can sometimes be more harmful than helpful. Mm. And it's a lot of the bad things that will happen to Mm. you. It's not a lot of living life. And that was very, very, very scary. And so I did Mm. at six months, I joined the Facebook page and I saw that and I thought this is terrifying. (laughs) So I'm not sure which, which that is actually how I connected with that family in South Africa was through um, Facebook, they were coming to America to bring their daughter for treatment. And we Mm. ended up giving them free four days at Disney World, um, because they wanted to bring her to Orlando. And so so they were sort of our it was a surprise for them. And they were sort of our first unofficial being physician journey. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, and kind of the inspiration that was where a lot of it came from. But that was also my first really NF2 friend. I had met mm. one girl prior to that, but this was truly someone we really connected and spent some quality time with. Yeah. And it showed me too that this young girl, you know, if we can encourage someone before they're even an adult to mm. approach their condition from this perspective, to find things in their condition to be grateful for. Mm. And what an awesome gift to to be able to do that. And so when we, when I started getting other people reaching out and I mean, people really from all over the world reaching out and it was at first a little bit intimidating, (laughs) I think, because, um, you know, everyone's situation is so unique. Everyone's diagnosis, we all, this condition manifests itself radically different from one person to the next. And so it was a little bit challenging to try to find things to connect on when you're just over social media too, because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, I haven't done that or I've had this. But it was a great way to start. There were you know, a few people that were a little bit more similar to my situation. And while we traveled, we ended up being able to meet them in person. Yeah. So we kind of made it like a little tour that we are on to some extent that anytime we had that opportunity, we would, we would meet them in person and be able to connect that way. Now, really, we have yeah quite a large amount of people all over the place that, that we know with this condition. And so now, whenever we are traveling, especially in the U.S., we're able to meet. This last trip, we just went to Boston. We got to meet up with two people with NF2, actually. And at, every time before we're going on a trip, I usually, I sort of know where some people are, or I'll go on Facebook and I'll kind of mm-hmm. look and think, oh, are they in that area? And yeah. I reach out. And almost every single time we meet, and I think it's just... It's people that you would never be friends with mm. if it weren't for this really bad thing, but mm. that because of this bad thing, you have a bond that no one else could ever have. And and it's a very, it's very, very unique and mm. a rare gift. <laughs> I, again, it's, it's not a great condition. I really wish I didn't have it, but I really appreciate what it's like to get to experience something like that. Because before, mm-hmm. you know, you're friends with people and, and you have some really good friends, but there's just something so different about really, truly finding the people who know your struggle and, and are going through it too. So it's been, and to be able to encourage each other, like that's mm-hmm. really our, 
our big focus as we've built this community and just really, I would love to be able to connect more people together, not just me with these people in person. I think eventually it would be awesome to, to do some kinds of meet up or meetups or things like that, um, that encouragement opportunity for more people and help people to, to decide to be more than a patient sometimes mm. and, and really help them to do that. So yeah, it's been a cool, our ability, we love traveling, obviously. So we said, we'll do this forever. We'll just, as we travel, <laughs> we'll just say, we're coming here. <laughs> Is anyone there? Oh man, like that's so powerful to me and gives encouragement to me, even as you're sharing how you've been able to connect people and build this sense of community as humans, like everyone needs that. And so even if you can just remind someone like, hey, you're not alone in this or whatever they're going through, I think that's that's really powerful. So one of our goals, eventually, we, we aren't going to do it immediately just because it's a little tricky setting it up. But our hope is that so we're sending the recipient who has a condition and then one other person. Um, mm. The primary motivation for that instead of a whole family is because we really want the journey to be about the person they get to pick yeah. everything no one yeah. else gets an opinion um, but That's also awesome. because I do have a heart obviously for marriages that are going yeah. through this and to really mm-hmm. um, restore what your marriage could be but alongside that since it's just two people um, I really want to create a network where we could have people wherever we're sending so say we're sending someone to Colorado well hey look there's four people we know that have NF2 that are also in Colorado why don't we set them up on a little meetup or even pair them with one person mm. and just give them that opportunity because there are so many people with these conditions that have never met anyone else in person wow. with theirs. So yeah. for us, we've met countless people now, mm. but it's because we travel and because of the blog. Right. I'm the first person for a lot of people yeah. <laughs> that they've met who has NF2. And so if we can do that for our recipients, I think it would be awesome. Christina, you have such an incredible story, and I think it's it's so evident that God is using you in amazing ways, and I'm just really encouraged by that. It's pretty incredible. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you doing this as well. I think this is an awesome, um, just having that heart, especially after a year of such isolation for everyone to, mm-hmm. to be pushing community is so important, and I think a lot of people are really going to need that reminder because we're all really comfortable being alone now especially Mm. especially people like me with health conditions we were extra isolated so the year doing a really good thing setting up this um just encouragement for people to find their people whatever that looks like so I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity Christina's story is so so inspiring I love it when she said that being positioned is this idea that when hard things happen to you, you're being positioned for something greater. What a mindset to have. Imagine the impact we could have on our own communities if, in the face of adversity, we looked around us and extended a hand instead of keeping to ourselves. You will most definitely want to connect with Christina and follow what she's doing with being positioned. I've tagged all of her accounts on my Instagram, at Reside Podcast, for you to check out. Guys, thanks for listening to the show today. I hope it leaves you feeling challenged and encouraged to cultivate community in your own space. Know that I'm cheering you on in that. The podcast has a new episode every other Wednesday. Follow, like, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a show. 
The next episode is releasing on Wednesday, September 8th. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, again, at Reside Podcast, so you don't miss a show. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers!